And so even then, which isn't that long ago, friends and mentors said, well, you know, would you really want to be known as that professionally? Would you really want that to be? I'm sure somebody said your brand. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I really struggled with that. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, it is the final week of June, which means we are starting to say farewell to LGBTQ plus Pride Month, and we've been celebrating all month here on the podcast, so check out Pride on Brand at Lead With Your Brand slash pride for our complete collection of amazing leaders, executives, and influencers, all who identify as members of the LGBTQ plus community. And today, I've got another amazing guest. It is Dina Fidas, who is Out and Equals Managing Director and Chief Program and Partnerships Officer. But before we get to Dina, let's talk a little bit about peeling the onion. Now, you've heard me say this before, where you went to school, all of these great certificates, all of these things that you have built up on your resume. Well, now that you work for your organization, all of those things don't quite matter. Now, don't freak out. Obviously, you put blood, sweat, and tears into getting those certifications, getting those degrees, spending time at other companies. But guess what? Now that you're here... How you show up and how you operate is what truly determines how you lead with your brand. So quite simply, you might have an amazing degree from Harvard and that certificate hanging in your cubicle or office. But if you show up to a meeting and you're rude and you cut people off, your brand is being a jerk. Your brand isn't that you went to Harvard. So you always hear me talk about defining those brand attributes. Those are those great descriptor words that you want to be known as and you want to show up as. But words are just words. At the end of the day, it's really all about your actions and behaviors. So you've got to peel that onion. You've got to pull the skin and go into the layers because you've got to determine for all of your brand attribute words, what is it that people see you do And what is it that people hear you say? What are those actions and behaviors that people observe that then they go ahead and label 
you with those brand attribute words that you want. So when you say, hey, I'm fun, or if you show up and say, hey, I'm analytical and data-driven, or hey, I'm dependable, I'm going to challenge you to really think about what it is that you're actually doing that people label it that way. Because at the end of the day, words are just words. Your actions and behaviors are what show up. So here's a quick little tip for you to think about. I want you to imagine that you are on an amazing reality show. In fact, I'm going to cast you in our latest series, The Real Housewives of Your Company. I want you to imagine that we have sent a reality show film crew to follow you at work for the past two weeks, and they've been filming everything. There's tons of tape in the can. Now, you and I are sitting down in that edit bay. We're watching all of this footage because we're putting together this new episode. I want you to look at that and date and timestamp specific actions and behaviors that people would describe you using your brand attribute words. When you can identify those specific behaviors, you are going to find your secret sauce for actions and behaviors that you can replicate every single day. So if you're just saying you're dependable, right? I want you to say, hey, you know how I show up as dependable? Last Friday, I had one of my clients call me with a big crisis, and I actually stopped everything that I was doing. I worked extra hours. I went and did all of this research and helped them solve a problem. I want you to say those are the actual actions and behaviors that you can repeat and replicate so that your clients are going to call you dependable, right? It's all about peeling the onion and really asking yourself, what do people see? What do people hear from me? Once you can do that, you can take your brand attribute words and really understand what they look like on you. And more importantly, you can replicate those behaviors in every client interaction, in every interaction with one of your employees. Every time you walk into a meeting, you will actually have a script of behaviors that help you show up on brand. Well, I am super excited for today's guest. It is Dina Fidas, who is Out and Equals Managing Director and Chief Program and Partnerships Officer. Now, Dina oversees its programs, both domestic and global, as well as corporate partnerships working with the global companies and organizations to accomplish the next level of LGBTQ inclusion. Dina is a leading global workplace advocate. Now, prior to working at Out and Equal Workplace, advocates. She was with the Human Rights Campaign, which we all know as HRC, for 12 years, where she led their workplace equality programs and the Corporate Equality Index that I know all of you are working for companies with a 100% rating. Now, Dina was behind some of the movement's largest corporate public policy mobilization efforts, including turning the tide for corporate America's support for marriage equality and the Equality Act. Under her leadership, the number of Fortune 500 companies with full LGBTQ protections rose from less than half to a full majority of 90%. Dina has led inclusion programs on four continents and pioneered the development of corporate benchmarking tools here in the U.S. and across Latin America and Asia, all to advance real policy change and impact people's everyday lives. I'll be back in just a moment without an equals Dina Fidas. 
For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I have a fabulous guest with us today. It is Dina Fidas. Dina, what is going on? Oh, it's so wonderful to be here, Jason. I um, could not think of a better way to celebrate officially sort of being uh, on the other side of this little thing called COVID. So I'm feeling better, feeling better and stronger. And it's an absolute delight uh, to be here with you as we are in the final days of Pride Month. I cannot believe it's winding down. Exactly. Well, you are strong and healthy and ready to go (laughs) out and uh, celebrate Pride Month. But Dina, jump in and and talk to me because I know you're going to be going to tons of uh, events to close out LGBTQ plus Pride Month. When you first meet people, how do you describe to them who you are and what it is that you do? Uh, well, I will <laughs> frequently make uh, a self-effacing joke that in 15 years of being in this field, I don't know that I've completely mastered my elevator speech, but um, <laughs> I will, depending on, you know, it really does depend on the, on the setting, um, yeah. which really speaks to the field. So when I say the field, you know, Jason, you and I met years ago uh, when you were uh, with a major Fortune 500 company. And uh, quite frankly, we were in the throes of some of the earliest conversations of things like trans inclusion in the workplace Mm -hmm. and implementing gender identity protections and, you know, reconciling different subsidiaries to all kind of coalesce that, yes, LGBT inclusion is the right thing to do. Um, And certainly, notice I said LGBT, you know, we've added letters. I think we've added, you know, a depth and breadth of understanding of our community. But uh, to your question, I usually explain to folks that actually I work, I will joke that, you know, my wife works in politics, and I like to be politics adjacent. And I (laughs) get to actually get things done because I work with major businesses on their LGBTQ inclusion and corporate social responsibility. Um, so when I'm when I'm poised enough, I can get it down to one sentence, and it helps <laughs> if my wife is next to me. Exactly. And now, of course, you work for a fabulous organization, Out yes. and Equal Workplace Advocates. Tell our listeners who aren't familiar a little bit around what Out and Equal does. Yes, yeah, so I'm exceedingly proud to be at Out and Equal. I just have rounded out a little over three years here. Um, part of why I'm so proud to be at Out and Equal is uh, our small, mighty organization was actually founded about 25 years ago. So think about the lay of the land in the mid-90s. Uh, this was you know, pre, um, <laughs> pre-LGBTQ people everywhere. It was before businesses uh, embraced Pride Month. Um, in many ways, it was even before we said things like pink washing because there was, there was no pink to be spoken of in the <laughs> mid nineties. Yeah. Um, so Out and Equal was founded by a very visionary woman named Celise Berry. Um, and I like to say that, you know, our organization, uh, even in the name, um, were founded on the principle that none of us should have to choose between being out or being equal at work. Mm. Um, I am 
very passionate about workplace equality, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And so Out and Equal was founded in the mid-90s and grew to be the glo- one of the major global conveners of LGBTQ and allied workplace advocates. Uh, we're probably best known for our big annual global summit. Uh, Jason, you are you know, our number one requested speaker. And of course, you also <laughs> support us um, uh, in partnership with our executive forum. But when you look at the trajectory of Out and Equal, really that first um, decade and a half was about, you know, finding where are the LGBTQ people, where are they in leadership, um, how can we support them to form employee resource groups or business resource groups, ERGs, BRGs, um, and how can we convene these folks, collect and disseminate best practices. And so I was brought in to be part of um, uh, a new cadre of leadership in which we've actually expanded our programs. You know, mm. we work now globally with deeper roots, deepest roots, I should say, in Brazil, India, and China, mm-hmm. um, those outside of the U.S. We work across the Asia-Pacific region, across the Americas. Um, we also have a Southern States initiative, uh, meaning the Southern U.S. states, which are some of the hardest in terms of anti-LGBTQ legislation. Um, and so at present, you know, we're a growing organization that seek to ensure that, again, no one has to choose between being out and being equal, uh, but to bring us to the present uh, to really ensure that inclusion and belonging are facets of all of our workdays, whether we are showing up behind a serving station at a restaurant or whether we are C-suite, um, that we are embraced for who we are as LGBTQ people, that our talents are tapped, and that we have agency in our careers. And then, of course, we equip more broadly major employers, major businesses with the tools they need to attract and retain diverse talent. And I mean, everything that you all do is just so amazing. And of course, you've got the uh, annual summit coming up and it's yeah. it's in real life and it's in Las yeah. Vegas. Indeed, indeed. Uh, I'm so, so thrilled. And I was, you know, um, teasing, you know, uh, my my dear mentor, friend and CEO, Aaron Uridis, um, that in many ways, this is sort of a second coming out party for her since she assumed the CEO role. Um, because, you know, we're, we're returning to in person and just the, the energy is so palpable. I mean, um, you may know, Jason, you know, we also had our first m- but much smaller in-person event in San Francisco in March, our executive forum. Yeah. And people are just clamoring, you know, they're clamoring to be together. The hugs are there. They're masked, but they're hugs. Uh, you know, we're sort of um, vaxxed and, and ready to reconnect and be together. Absolutely. And so anyone listening, uh, if you are in the corporate space, this is the event to go to in uh, in October. And you can find out more at outandequal.org. So, Dina, talk to me a little bit about your career. You know, you've spent almost two decades in philanthropy mm-hmm. and politics adjacent and advocacy. <laughs> yeah. When you think back over those years, what are some of those moments that really felt like career breakthrough moments for you? Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm I'm in my 40s and I joined um, the human rights campaign in my 20s. And so um, that in and of itself, that decision uh, for somebody who is, you know, first generation American, <laughs> raised in a rather traditional household, um, huge, huge emphasis growing up in 
in the integrity of work and careers and sacrifice and you're, you're lucky to be born in this country and, you know, all of that sort of piled on. Um, long way of saying that in and of itself, the idea that, wow, am I comfortable with my lesbian identity uh, being coupled with my professional identity. Mm. Um, and so at the time, you know, I asked uh, close friends and, um, you know, mentors, and this was, this was um, 2007. Um, and so even then, which isn't that long ago, friends and mentors said, well, you know, would you really want to be known as that professionally? Ooh. Would you really want that to be, I'm sure somebody said your brand. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I really struggled with that um, and thought, well, you know, because immediately prior to that job, I was working, as you said, in, in political and progressive fundraising. I did a lot of work with uh, the American Civil Liberties Union, and then I got to be part of um, the tail end of Hillary Clinton's time in the Senate and then her presidential campaign and then some other, you know, smaller democratic and progressive clients in there. And, um, you know, I was very happy in that role and, and content and got to use different skill sets, but I kind of threw my hat in the ring for this human rights campaign job. And, um, you know, it's funny, of course, end of the story is I got the job, even in the interview process, I'm almost embarrassed to say, <laughs> I don't think I fully appreciated this entire world of corporate advocacy. Yeah. Now, certainly it was, it was at a different stage then, but what I did, you know, I got to join the team that produced the Corporate Equality Index, which is a, a huge global tool for change and, and, and really took it standard, as... standard, right? It, exactly, exactly. And, and really sort of took it as, um, you know, the baton is being passed to me. It's not my baton. Uh, it's, it's for me to run with. And then to pass it along to somebody else. And, and so I stayed at the human rights campaign for uh, about 11 and a half years um, and loved it and, and expanded our work uh, globally and set up partner indices in Latin America and partnerships in Asia. Um, and this was also uh, an era in which we ratcheted up. Um, the degree to which we're able to mobilize businesses for for equality under the law for public policy. Yeah. Um, so marriage equality um, at the time, the Employment Non Discrimination Act, eventually the Equality Act, but just huge tectonic shifts happening under our feet. And so, Dina, talk to me um, about being at HRC because you said you didn't fully appreciate it, uh, you know, in that in in the, the the infancy there, but you were able to really expand. And this work in a major way, right? I mean, you, you by the time you left, you had almost 90% or something of, mm -hmm. of companies, right, hitting those, those key equality benchmarks. What did you learn during that time? And how did that help you grow your career as a leader? Yeah, well, I think that um, I very quickly felt so comfortable. And that comfort was actually... Uh, stemming from the fact that we were making a business case for inclusion. Um, and so sort of to, to mix and match here some personal reflections and then, you know, more, more uh, overarching career reflections. I think at the time it was like, okay, I, I'm now comfortable. My, my brand is LGBTQ advocate. I can be out in the world like that. Great. But then when I would show up and I did a lot of public speaking, a lot of persuasion work, um, I had such safety in, in 
almost clinically presenting data. You know, mm. it was sort of like, this isn't about, this isn't about emotions. This isn't about who I am, who you happen. Oh, I happen to be a lesbian sort of almost at the end of the presentation. <laughs> right. And, and, and I think, you know, in terms of, you know, my own reflections as I was, um, you know, headed into this conversation with you, because I so appreciate how much you encourage people to tap into those moments and those reflections. It actually took me several years to get to a place of comfort and to feel like my individual identity and story was a value add, that it wasn't just about, um, you know, I was presenting this, this sort of polished business case, you know, here's, here's Wittick Combs marketing data, you know, yeah. here's the, here where all your competitors are in the corporate equality index. And I, I still firmly believe in, in data, you know, is sort of, I, I joke, I'm, you know, that I'm the daughter of uh, an economist, the first in her family to <laughs> pursue education. And, and, you know, there's a therapy group for anybody raised by economists. They take it oil. <laughs> every, every emotion just comes down to numbers and, and formulas, but, um, but I found a lot of safety in that. And so, so first I think on a personal level, I grew, I grew a lot. I mean, those are formative years, you know, your, your 30, your late twenties, early thirties. Uh, but second, um, part of why I actually made the move to out and equal was, you know, one to this point about the baton, but two, you know, I actually had a few, almost cranky moments with, with realizing, you know, some of, you know, younger staff or interns, I'm thinking, you know, you had no idea what it was like when we were, <laughs> you know, when, when, when we couldn't say, you know, a majority of the fortune 500, I remember specifically when it was the same year, um, GE, Walmart, and some other titans of our economy, major fortune, uh, 500 companies in one year passed gender identity protections. Yeah. And I remember when our VP came upstairs and we, I'm actually getting goosebumps talking about this. We knew the gravity of this because finally, 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 Jason, we were able to, when our colleagues met with members of Congress, when we spoke to the press, when we reach that mile marker of over 50% and we could say a majority protect their transgender workers. That talking point was so vital to, to persuasion on Capitol Hill, to persuading other companies to join. And, you know, that is very methodical work. That is not necessarily, um, can I say, sort of sexy work. You're not marching in the streets, you know, it's not a photo op. It, it, it involved a lot of uh, real conversations and, and methodical work in partnership with businesses, not, not shouting and, 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 you know, um, and, and dancing or whatever people do to protest outside of a building. We need protesters, but I think we also need advocates that are, that are inside and, and working in partnership. So yeah. there were these magical moments and, and I'll just wind down this part to say that uh, to have been at the human rights campaign, to have been in this movement, under the Obama administration, the very first time that we had a federal law that covered us. A lot of folks don't realize the very first federal law to include sexual orientation and gender identity was the hate crimes bill. Mm. Um, and so we, we just had these extraordinary times. It, it felt like not like you were on a roller coaster that was going up and down. You were, you jumped on the roller coaster and it was just up, 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 up. It was extraordinary. And then of course we know what happened, uh, in, in the next <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yes exactly so i would say it was this extraordinary time of 
of growth and refinement. I think it was also a time that as we reflect on where we are now, I think we're presently in a moment of much deeper reflection on intersectionality as a movement, on deeper reflection on the diversity of of gender, gender expressions, gender identities, and so forth. I mean, I really think that those same, you know, younger workers that I got cranky with because they didn't always appreciate what (laughs) all the history, (laughs) they're also the ones, you know, shaking shaking the trees and saying we demand better. So I'm grateful for, for, for all of it. Yeah. Now, Dina, you talked a little bit about finding comfort in bringing your own story to mm-hmm. the forefront and really balancing, right, the, the data and the numbers with sort of mm-hmm. that emotional connection. Talk to me, what was that moment or what were some of those experiences that you had that you found, wow, I need to bring this element of my voice forward or, mm-hmm. oh, there is value in people hearing about me as an individual? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I think a few things came together for me, um, partly by hard work, partly by the luck of circumstances. I became a manager rather young and um, that can kind of sneak up on you where you realize, oh, gosh, I not only manage people, but, you know, I need to model behaviors that I yeah. would want to see. And I actually did have some real reflections on this. Um down even to the level of what it meant to do so much public speaking. I mean, Jason, you do so much too. And I'm sure folks ask you, like, how do you do this? Because, you know, that is the number one fear, right? More people fear public speaking than they fear death. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it's cited as this number one fear. But for me, at its core, a lot of that fear is is actually rooted in worthiness. Mm. Um, that That is my voice worthy? Is my story worthy? And um, in working with so many extraordinary workplace advocates, um, the types of folks who would put aside um, office politics, put aside, you know, um, their their day to day concerns to be bold and courageous and tell their own story and to do it imperfectly, but beautifully and persuasively. I thought, you know, um, here I, I think of myself as altruistic. But it's also important that I lead with worthiness as well. Mm. Worthiness and humility. You know, my story is not the only one that matters. And I sometimes, you know, I, I don't particularly enjoy if I'm in a training or a learning session and it's sort of all about that one speaker. Um, I think that can be very limiting. But to begin to splice in sort of authentic vulnerability or authentic mm. learnings and reflections, um, you know, when I would open up about mistakes I made. Um, I think uh, one of the first times that I was on camera um, at a at a DNI conference, um, I told about uh, something that I was embarrassed about that I learned from, um, and and it was a quick you know it was an anecdote. I'll just quickly I'll, I'll be really fast with it. Just that you know. Um, years ago, actually, when I was in graduate school, um, almost everybody in my program, we're all social justice oriented. We were going to change the world and be in the trenches. And each person sort of had their little niche field. And one of my colleagues did a lot on, on trauma and adoption and the experience moving through the world, their experience moving through the world. And we, we were sitting around just, you know, babbling about whatever. And somebody started talking about, um, that that he had really dark eyes. And he asked me, like, where do you get? Because I have very dark eyes, too. I said, oh, you know, they're, they're my mom's dark eyes. I turned to this colleague. I said, what about you? You have such blue eyes. And her face fell because mm. 
she's she's adopted and here i was i knew her well she was a friend i cared about her and i got a dose of humility in that moment and i carry those moments with me because quite frankly and you know we we made up and i i let her know you know gosh i'm really sorry i just you know had this moment but that experience of oh wow you can be unconsciously um either biased or just kind of running on autopilot about assumptions that is that is transferable to our lgbtq world because there are a lot of it's really tempting sometimes i think to get sort of luxury and (laughs) self-righteous and and i like to remind folks and and i so again to answer your question i think i found that when i started to share my mistakes my missteps my learnings that it solidified more of my connection with people. And then that's how I thought, well, that's a worthy story. Um, and that is in part how I found the value and the worthiness of my story um, because it's real. It's not a polished PowerPoint deck. It's not this puzzle that that fits together. It's a recognition of, hey, you know, I'm not here to lecture you because, you know, Lord knows I'm a work in progress. And let me even <laughs> tell you about some of the ways that I'm still in progress. Wow. So I, I know you talked a little bit about your parents. Um, when you <laughs> were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, well, um, I distinctly remember uh, walking, telling my parents, actually, (laughs) I think this was in the course of the same weekend, Um, one, that I wanted to be Michael Jackson. (laughs) I had a glove and I, you know, Michael Jackson was big. The second, at one point, I announced I want to be a boy. And uh, it was like, why do you want to, you know, why do you want to be a boy? And I said, because I want to play baseball. You know, I was very sporty. And so it's interesting now as that conversation has evolved. Now, now, to be clear, I mean, my gender identity aligns with my birth certificate and, and I have not, not experienced gender dysphoria myself. You know, I identify as a woman, you know, all of that happens to align for me. I'm cisgender. Um, and, you know, for, for me and my generation, sometimes expressions of masculinity, it was sort of that was an expression to, to be sporty, you know, to not be a girly girl, to not wear frilly dresses. And, um, so I, you know, I'm now, a, I, I have two stepchildren, they're older, but I entered their lives when they were much younger and just so much has changed in terms of their sense of, of opportunity and, and agency in the world when it comes to their yeah. identities. Yeah. So Dina, let's talk a little bit about your brand. Give me three words that describe Dina Fidas. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> it's funny. Again, leading into this, I was like, oh gosh, I really don't spend enough time thinking about my brand. But I do opt into, as a leader, um, I will tell you, Jason, whenever I can, I opt into anonymous 360 feedback mm. because I, I think as a leader, that is so important to give people the space to give you growth feedback. So I can tell you the words that are big in my word cloud. <laughs> Ooh, I, you know, <laughs> I love is, word clouds. So um, I, the words that are big, uh, one was trust. Mm. Another was funny. And another was knowledgeable. Um, and so uh, for me, um, as I was uh, listening again to your, your one of your many fabulous talks, um, one of the things that I think is so important when you talk about brand and when any of us talk about brand, that is one's brand is not 
how you wake up in the morning and think about yourself. It's how people experience you. Yeah. Hence why I opt into feedback because I would, if you asked me at eight o'clock in the morning, describe yourself, I might, I'm going to tell you my complexes. Oh, I think I can be too serious. Whereas people who experience me every day go, oh no, she's laughing all the time. <laughs> she's funny. <laughs> so, so that's what I, I mean. So, so the brand of leadership is, is uh, a mix. Um, I would also say that a reflection I received, which is, which has helped me and I think um, helped me in this field in particular is that I am a, a leader and I'm a brand, if you will, that can hold complexity. Um, it is exceedingly rare for me to speak in absolutes, mm. to say this is right or this is wrong. Um, you know, uh, this is progress, this isn't progress. You know, uh, I'm somebody who got phone calls from companies that were in, in the headlines for firing people who were gay. Um, and I am somebody who has to address a room that varies uh, from the folded arms skeptic to the emotional ERG leader and, and needing to hold a lot of complexity. And I think um, empathy and, and empathy, I guess, well, you asked me for three words. So one, as a leader, I clearly don't follow instructions. That's part of my <laughs> brand. <laughs> um, and two, <laughs> Um, I can sometimes speak in, in paragraphs when maybe a sentence would do. Well, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. How about that, Jason? But hey, I'm going to wrap that mm -hmm. complexity into sort of yeah. knowledge there, mm -hmm. because sure. I think that's what when people think about you and certainly all of the years that we have interacted in, in mm -hmm. the corporate space, even even prior to Out and Equal, it was really about like you're a go to person to help us think through complex problems. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's 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 a little bit of that magic that you bring. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for saying that. I think. Um, I have also learned from people in this field um, and and have been gifted with extraordinary mentors, really extraordinary mentors, and um, who who grapple with everything from okay, here's here's sort of the the politics of the possible right now. Here are the politics of the aspirational. How do we bring these together? Um, and I think, you know, look, in the, in our space of, of LGBTQ, uh, corporate equality or workplace inclusion, I think often when we say empathy, we're, I often hear people speak about empathy in sort of big, bold ways, you know, empathizing with our allies, empathizing with the other, empathizing, you know, with across the spectrum of identities, um, I also can be very practical. And for me, empathy is also the recognition that uh, people are very busy. People don't want to embarrass themselves in a meeting. People want to be equipped with the palm card that tells them how to make the case for trans-inclusive benefits or for gender-affirming care. And that is where I think I've had success in really... Um, bringing together the the aspiration with the tactical or the practical. Mm. So day to day, what does it mean um, to equip advocates with what they need to meet with the C-suite to get a policy changed? Um, what does it mean to actually recognize all of their realities? You know, their realities, like, for example, when I was working on the Corporate Equality Index, 
Um, and I still use that phrasing, trans-inclusive healthcare, um, because that, that's a distinct phrasing from gender-affirming care. Because at the time, transgender people were being denied healthcare coverage for procedures that had nothing to do with, with gender affirmation, mm-hmm. uh, because the exclusions were, were, were that harsh. Um, anyway, we were doing that advocacy as the Affordable Care Act was going through Congress. So you can imagine benefits managers, their heads are spinning. And then all of a sudden, this advocacy group says, oh, and by the way, we need you to do something completely new and overhaul your benefit. <laughs> so so it's important to not, this again, it's so important to not lecture people, but to really, to the degree that you can, really push yourself, look at their realities. They're stretched thin, they're unsure, they're trying to navigate their careers and their jobs. And I always say our job is to be their best friend. Our job as an out and equal or at the time as an HRC, we need to be their best friend. We've got their back. We don't want problems to take them by surprise. We want to be helpful to them. Um, And so that's where I think a lot of this, um, a lot of the efficacy comes from. And, And so talk to me a little bit about how you build that trust and how you go into these different audiences, right? I mean, I know everyone wants to be an influential leader. You happen to be an influential leader that has showed up in the halls of Congress, shows up with the, with the C-suite and interacts with people from all different types of backgrounds. What advice do you have for people in order to go in and influence, you know, mm-hmm. have that empathy yet mm-hmm. still be authentic and, and be true to themselves? Yeah. Well, one, um, first and foremost, I would say do your research. Um, you know, we, I think actually one of my grade school teachers used to say this, or I don't know, maybe it was a little later, but it was like, you know, occasionally they'd give you these special projects where you'd go interview somebody, interview a scientist or interview. And the whole point was do not ask that person a question that you could have found the answer. At the time, it would have been the library, not a Google search. <laughs> but, but do your research. In other words, um, Use people's time well, and as best as you can, you know, understand, is this a company that's on the verge of an IPO? You know, is this a company that um, is uh, dealing with the the kind of anticipated or almost regular um, upheaval that comes with mergers and acquisitions? You know, do, so do that research. Um, second, I would say... Um, to the degree that it's possible, engage in dialogue beforehand. Uh, one of the first questions that I always ask a company representative is, who do you typically benchmark against? Mm. And you will be surprised by the answer. Uh, I'm not going to name this company, but I was at the headquarters of a global fast food company. And, um, you know, I had just gotten off a flight and had to sort of launch into my little spiel and immediately started name dropping their immediate peers, you know, other fast food and other yeah. fast casual companies. And one of the uh, marketing leaders and, and then somebody else from the ERG, they sort of interrupted me and I said, just so you know, we actually think of ourselves as in the same talent pool as a Goldman Sachs and a Google because they were doing more tech initiatives and they, yeah. you know, so, so, you know, I certainly recovered from that, but I hadn't engaged. That's a learning moment. I hadn't actually engaged at first in that dialogue. Who do you benchmark against? Because you need to get into the psyche, the mentality of that company. And then, then you see that then what's my leverage point? Because then I'm, then I'm either going to posit to this company, well, you have an opportunity to lead because those that you benchmark against aren't even in this space yet, or they haven't made this move yet. 
Or you can comfort them with safety of numbers and say, you know what, that's fantastic because pretty much every other aerospace and defense firm has embraced this. Yeah. So after, you know, doing your research, um, understanding uh, what other organizations or what other businesses uh, that particular business benchmarks against, um, the third is really internally facilitating their own understanding of the company ecosystem, because yeah. I have found that that will actually surprise people. Um, there is uh, very little I have found that's linear or that's sort of traditional in terms of a path within a company. When you look at the triumphs of how a company got um, gender identity protections or how a company signed on to a marriage, you know, to the amicus brief before the Supreme Court on marriage, it it kind of zigs and zags. It's like, okay, there was this amazing young ERG leader who had the ear of government affairs and then they together went to the executive champion. And so, you know, really understanding um, what I call the spheres of influence of the individual of the individuals within the company and and how they can chart their path too, because a lot of what we do as as out and equal um, is you know we give uh, workplace advocates tools of their empowerment. Mm-hmm. We're not parachuting in and telling everybody uh, how to accomplish inclusion and belonging, but rather really meeting them where they are uh, and equipping them with tools. Yeah. And so, Dina, tell me, over the course of your career, how has your brand evolved? Or have you always been this, you know, trustworthy, fun, complex uh, kind of person? Uh, Well, (laughs) how has my brand evolved? Um, Well, I think that overall, um, and I, I would attribute this also to just, you know, maturity and growth, I think I have a deeper sense of confidence that, you know, if faced with a challenge that I and we will get through it. Um, I also am not rattled in the way that I observed more recently, even more younger colleagues Um, as devastating as some of the recent news has been, whether it's, you know, anti-LGBTQ legislation whether it's uh, really horrible political rhetoric, um, I'm at a place of, you know, I've seen worse or I've seen this before, or I actually have a confidence that the creativity and steadfastness of our advocacy will triumph. Mm. So I think that, that, I guess I described that initially as confidence. I think it's also hope. Um, I have much more hope and much more of an optimistic outlook Um, You know, I think initially, I I just remember getting sidelined in my earlier days, you know, gosh, the the CDO, the chief diversity officer came in and was clearly really skeptical about this. And that would sort of sidetrack me. And, you know, I think I was a little too, um, you know, prone to the whims of other people versus Mm -hmm. understanding from within what the right path is, what the right direction is. And so I would say that that has evolved, uh, you know, in my brand of leadership where I'm often getting on the phone or on the zoom these days with, with companies and, and it's actually incredibly comforting for them for me to say, you know, not to diminish what you're going through, but I need to assure you, I have literally had 10 conversations like this, this spring and you're in good company. And in other words, like so many of us are trying to, to uh, reconcile this or, you know, get it right on self ID or whatever the, the particular practice is. Um, so that's what I would say has has evolved more. Yeah. But like as I said, I am absolutely a work in progress. 
Uh, well, a couple of fun uh, questions to close us out. We've been talking about your brand. What brand are you obsessed with or what can't you live without when it comes to uh, a consumer brand? So I am a runner and I love running. And I have loved uh, some of the uh, running brands that have uh, come come out in the last several years. One is Progress Running mm. uh, outside of um, London. And <laughs> they're known for um, T-shirts with a... Um, with a rigatoni that says eat pasta, run faster. <laughs> so that get, makes me giggle. And I love putting on my progress running t-shirts. Um, love tracksmith running. I just love the whole ethos of the running community. Um, there's a lot of leadership in the running community, a lot of vulnerability, you know, it's remarkable. Very few people will tell you a running story of how they got into it or, or why they run. Uh, that's just like, yeah, I like to lace up and go for a run. It's, you know, people are triumphing over addiction or grief or just the blahs of COVID and they sort of discovered self-empowerment. So, um, uh, if the boxes that tend to pile up outside our door any indication, I buy too many running clothes. <laughs> and Dina, tell me if you were a type of car, what type of car would Dina be? Ha. Huh. Well, if my wife were here, she would laugh out loud because I am horrible at naming brands of cars. Um, if I'm asked what a car is, I will answer with the color. Ah, well, so, what type um, of car would you be? It doesn't even have to be a type, brand. You know what type of car I would be? Um, a movie that I just adore is Little Miss Sunshine. And oh, that, yeah. I think that that's a VW uh, uh, van or yeah, the yellow van. That's yeah, what I would yeah. be. Kind of, kind of rickety, like, you know, a little, little falling apart in places, but getting the job done and getting them where they need to go. That's what I would be. <laughs> ah, and finally, Dina, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Oh, gosh, as cliche as this sounds, as simple as this sounds, it is true. I really, really believe that. And it is believe in yourself. Mm. Believe in yourself, because I think that... Um, whether it's believing in the dignity of your work, truly, whatever you are doing, I was raised that honest work is honest work, um, had some scrappy parents, and uh, believe in yourself, believe in the dignity of your work, believe in your own worthiness, and believe in your own gut. Um, if you are not going to be uh, valued for who you are, and you have the ability to move on, do so. Believe in yourself and, and, and also believe that people are watching you. Believe that people are watching your potential and believe that there are people who quietly admire you and are learning from you. Mm. Um, that's not just the realm of C-suite. Um, you know, there are everyday sort of models and, and heroes that, that impact people's um, lives. And, you know, that's, that's in many ways, the story of, of why and what it means to, to live authentically as an LGBTQ person in the workplace. You're, you are 10 years later, uh, when, when a mom's kid comes out to them as, as lesbian, they're going to remember, oh, wow, I had that colleague and I can actually tell you about my struggle, or I can tell you that I'm proud. I can tell you what it meant to know that, you know, my mental image of what it means to be a, an LGBTQ person is you. It's not some scary image. It's not, you know. Um, so I would say, yes, absolutely. Believing, believe in yourself is, is the best career advice I can give. 
Yay. Well, Dina, thank you so much for believing in yourself and believing our in our community. Thank you for everything that you do for the community and uh, especially the work you do at Out and Equal. Thank you, Jason, for everything you do for the community, uh, for your friendship with Out and Equal and for the many, many lives that that you've touched uh, and given people just uh, this incredibly invigorated sense of who they can be in the world. So thank you, Jason. Oh, of course. And I will see you in Las Vegas in October at the yes, October 17th. I cannot wait. Cannot wait. Thank you, Jason. And I'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Well, what an amazing conversation to close out LGBTQ plus Pride Month. I just loved sitting down with Dina Fidas. You know, she shared so many great things about leading with your brand. But one thing that really stood out to me was this whole notion of being able to feel comfortable in bringing your story to the table. For her, it had to move just beyond presenting facts and data. It was really about bringing that emotion emotional connection of her own story. And ultimately, that's what you need to be influential in your brand and authentic. Now, you know it drives me nuts when everyone says they're authentic because I'm saying authentically what? But if you're looking at how you can be authentic, that was a great example, right? Having the comfort level to interweave your story and your experiences with the data that you're sharing with people. At the end of the day, being truly influential is about changing people's minds and their hearts. So make sure you're bringing yourself into your work so that people look at your work and know that it could only be accomplished by you, that you're bringing that extra special thing to the table. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our amazing Pride Month collection. Check it out at leadwithyourbrand.com slash pride because we're celebrating Pride year-round where you can catch all of our amazing episodes featuring guests who just happen to identify as members of the LGBTQ plus community. If you love the show, make sure that you hit follow on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and we'll deliver a brand new show every single Tuesday. Check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms, and I love to continue the conversation on LinkedIn. Most importantly, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. In your career, make sure you're that super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.